Good afternoon, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. I think we have an interesting program today. I'm excited about it. Uh, with me, as usual, is Chase Byers in Harrison, Harris, Harris, hang on, hang on, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That's right, Jeff. Well done, I guess. I mean, it's only been six months we've been doing this program, so. And Twelve years I've lived in this state. Yeah. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, this Commonwealth. Um, also, we are going to be without Joe Works today, but we do have a guest today. Kyle Pope is going to be joining us, and we have an interesting topic to talk about. Uh, the book of Exodus describes the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Uh, that seems like a big deal. Historically, you might think that we would have some evidence about that other than from the Bible, and it's been a puzzle. Some people say there is no such evidence. Kyle is uh, aware of some information that will shed some light on this. I think it's going to be an interesting topic. So let's bring on Kyle Pope from, I think, Amarillo, Texas. Is that right, Kyle? That's right. Hello, Jeff. Thank you for asking me to join you. Uh, I'm excited to have you here today. Uh, So Kyle, first of all, you work with a church in Amarillo, Texas, right in Amarillo or just outside of Amarillo? Where? Right in Amarillo, Olson Park Church of Christ in Amarillo. I've been here 13 years. You have a website there that if people wanted to go and find out about the congregation, if you have people in that area who are watching this webcast and might want to check you out. You bet. Olsonpark.com. And it's, uh, it'll have sermons and articles. Olsonpark.com. Yes, All right, Kyle. Well, great. Uh, so please, if you are in, that would be north, northwest or north Texas. What do you call we're, that? We're up in what they call the panhandle, that top part of the state. Right in the center of the panhandle. That always confused me because Texas doesn't look like a pan, and that doesn't look like a panhandle, but yeah. we'll, we'll go with it. I know I've heard of that. Okay. I guess right. it's where Oklahoma's panhandle connects. That's kind of the idea. Oh, that does look like a panhandle. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, Kyle, introduce this topic for us. From, I, I understand what we're talking about basically is, is the, the idea you've got maybe two and a half million people who are slaves in Egypt, and they get up and leave. Uh, but before they leave, there's all sorts of devastating plagues. You might think that would be newsworthy. Well, that's right. And uh, as believers in the Bible, we certainly believe that it was. The problem is, in much of the uh, scholarly world, archaeologists and Bible scholars, they have accepted the idea that there's not much evidence for that. And uh, we uh, have even seen those that are uh, religious leaders in the world that have denied the reality of that. And I, I came across some information a few years ago that is worth us considering because if it's true, then it shifts some of the dating of things and it takes us from a position in which people say there's no evidence to there being a great deal of evidence to support that. All right. Well, this is going to be interesting. So as we get into this, let me remind our viewers Uh, We would invite you to participate. If you have comments or you have questions you want to ask Kyle about this, you can send us your comments. If you're watching by means of the BibleQuest.tv page, you can just use use that page as usual and send comments by the Q&A tab. Um, Today we are live streaming this over YouTube rather than Facebook, which is what we usually use. And you're accustomed to being able to go to the comments section there on Facebook and leave comments that, that, to which we can respond. We're on YouTube today, and uh, but you can still leave your comments in the comments section uh, below the video streaming. And uh, Chase will keep track of those, or Drew may be also, if Drew's in the background, he may help us out with that. So do please send us your comments and questions for Kyle, and we'll try to get to them on the air. So, okay, Kyle. Where do you want to start now? We've got this subject a little bit introduced. What, what, 
you mentioned something about the dating. What's the issue here? Well, let me start this way. There is a uh, program that I was exposed to, came out in uh, 2015, uh, 14 actually, I guess is the dating on it. And it uh, was done by a filmmaker by the name of Tim Mahoney. And he is not an expert on such things, but Mahoney addressed what we've already discussed, the fact that um, many religious experts will deny the reality of the Exodus. And Mahoney acknowledged that he's one who believes in Jesus and found that rather discouraging. And this particular documentary traces his decade-long search to try to see what the evidence is. And it uh, is entitled Patterns of Evidence Exodus. And turns out this is actually going to be kind of a series. There uh, was another one that was released this year dealing with some things related to language. Uh, there would be another one in years to come that will deal with the site of the crossing. This particular one, though, uh, featured folks that we are probably familiar with. Kevin Sorbo narrated it. It had Benjamin Netanyahu and Shimon Perez and others. But uh, while Mahoney acknowledged the discouragement about this, he went through uh, just with a fresh eye to try to look at uh, what the evidence is. And as he addressed it, he introduced a fellow that was new to me at the time, a fellow by the name of David Roll, who is an Egyptologist, and Roll is an admitted agnostic. But Roll has, in some documentaries and books that were done in the 90s, uh, put forth an idea that has come to be known as the new chronology theory. Okay, and before you go on. What's interesting with Roll is that he doesn't really have uh, a religious axe to grind in this. Well, that's but, what I wanted to ask. This David sure, Roll, this David Roll, is, you said is an agnostic, is that right? That's right, yeah. So that's why you say he didn't have an, a, a religious axe to grind. He's not trying to prove the Bible is the Word of God. He's just interested in the history of it. I think that's right. And what's interesting about that is his, if what he says is correct, we've got about 300 years off in the traditional dating of the Exodus. And um, there's a lot that he gets into. I'll offer for your viewers here uh, ways in which if they want to dig into this and read further, you can access uh, some articles that give a summary of Roll's view. Uh, in a nutshell, what he basically argues is that there have been some times in which you've got dynasties that were treated as consecutive when in fact they were uh, concurrent. In other words, they were going on at the same time during some divisions of the, the empire. And if That's you the other, go ahead. If you didn't account for that, then that would throw off your understanding of how long ago certain pharaohs ruled, for example. That's right. That's okay. Right. All right. And so I guess the issue then here is, I'll try to say this as best I understand it. You correct me if I don't get this right. I guess the issue is here, if people look for historical evidence of the Israelites in Egypt, and they suppose that it was during a certain Pharaoh's time, um, and they suppose that that Pharaoh lived at some time that was two to 300 years different than he actually lived, right. then they wouldn't find any evidence of Israelites leaving Egypt at that time because they're looking in the wrong period of history. Is that the, kind of the idea? That's exactly right. And an awful lot of the way ancient history in general has been calculated is based on some of these issues. Okay. And what Roll has argued is that we've gotten things about 300 years off. 
And you can look at the evidence. I've looked at it. It's pretty complicated, some parts of it. What I summarized is, is kind of the gist of it. There's some other elements of it, though, that will be perhaps a little easier for us to kind of make sense of. Um, a lot of it deals with an assumption that has been made. Uh, scripture will speak of uh, the storage cities of Python and Ramesses, or also pronounced Ramesses in Exodus 12, 20, 37, and in Exodus uh, 1, 11. All right. Well, let me, let, me, let me read those two passages real sure. quickly. Exodus 1, 11, so they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they, these Israelite slaves, built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. And I guess if I'm reading that, that would make me think that, well, this must be either during or after the time of the Pharaoh who was Ramses. Would that be what I would think? And that's been the assumption. And we, we can understand why people might assume that, but the very fact that he is Ramesses II, and uh, even the, the places had some other names uh, in times past, should lead us to ask the question, is that a proper assumption? Because, we, because you, you've got a date here, Ramses II, um, living from 1279 to 1213 B.C., right. which, which would make him Pharaoh uh, toward the end of the 13th century B.C., and that would then seem to mean, if that's when the Israelites were in Egypt, then that would seem to mean, you get correct me if I've got this wrong, but that would seem to mean the Israelites came out of Egypt somewhere approaching 1200 B.C. Is that the idea? That's what has been assumed. And a lot of uh, scholarly works that you look to will, will put those dates there. And the problem is, while we have a lot of evidence for the reign of Ramesses II, uh, we have uh, accounts of his conquests and battles, even going all the way up into Kadesh, his battles with the Hittites. We don't have anything in the reign of Ramesses II that describes Israelites and an exodus and that kind of thing, even though that has been the traditional dating. Mm -hmm. Now, what Roll will argue in connection with the issues of uh, the consecutive reigns there are a few other issues that come into it. What has long been accepted as the first non-biblical reference to Israel outside of the Bible is on a stela of a, the son of Ramesses II, Merneptah II. Okay. And uh, on this, it describes him uh, fighting against and destroying the seed of Israel. And what's interesting is the hieroglyphs that are used for this actually describe it as an ethnicity uh, rather than a nation. And so that's why many have looked at that. I wrote an article about it years ago that, yes, this reflects the condition. Um, however, it's describing a conquest. And if this is immediately after the reign of Ramesses II, and he was the, the pharaoh of the Exodus, mm -hmm. you wouldn't expect a conquest coming after that. In Not immediately after that. We, don't, we certainly don't see that in the Bible. We don't see the Egyptians coming out and conquering the Israelites just a few years after they left Egypt, right? That's right. That's okay. right. And in recent years, another artifact has come to light that's known as the Berlin Pedestal. Uh, it's an 18-inch uh, uh, rock that has carvings. And you may notice on the picture there, you'll have bound people and then the little encircled area or cartouche underneath that that will list the nations that are conquered. Uh, 
Now, this particular artifact dates to the reign before Ramesses II, about a century earlier. And what you have is it also referring to Israel. Well, that would be a problem, wouldn't it? I mean, if they're referring to Israel before Ramses II, and if Ramses II is the Pharaoh when Israel uh, left Egypt, what, what, is it a reference to Israel while there were slaves in Egypt? That's what you'd have to assume, but that doesn't make sense. You know, if he's the Pharaoh, then why do you have a claim to have conquered Israel and Canaan uh, a hundred years before that? Okay, so what's the explanation? Well, you're going to get us there. Go ahead. (laughs) All right. Well, here's where Roll's argument, I think, really comes into play, because you'll notice here on the timeline, that places the Berlin pedestal in the century before Ramesses II. Right. Roll will actually look at some evidence that we have in Scripture that is compelling, too. In in Mm -hmm. 1 Kings chapter 6, there is a statement made in connection with Solomon that describes something happening in the fourth year of his reign, and it describes it as in the 480th year after the children of Israel have come out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you look at that on our timeline, what you're looking at here, we, we know Solomon here in connection with 970 BC, and that's fairly well established. If you look at a date of 480 years before that, that would not place us in the 1200s. That would place us back to around 456 BC or 1456 BC. Well, then, wow. but then Kyle, if that if that's if we go back to 450 1456 BC for the Exodus, then Ramses couldn't have been the Pharaoh right. uh, when the Israelites came out of Egypt. That's right. But but Kyle, but it mentions Ramses in Exodus, right? Well, it mentions the place names. Okay. But, but as we as we noticed, he's Ramesses the second, so there were Ramesses before him as well. Oh, okay, um, okay. And I think the name itself just gives honor to one of their pagan gods, Ra. Uh, so we we shouldn't be surprised if we see that name in other places. Well, that uh, that makes sense. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, Roll will offer some other evidence too. And here's another identification that an awful lot of ancient history has been built upon. Um, First Kings chapter 14, verse 26. Um, In most of the Old Testament, you don't have Pharaohs mentioned by name, but in uh, this instance, you have a Pharaoh identified as Shishak. And the text tells us that he brought 12,000 chariots, uh, 60,000 horsemen, people without number, uh, and he conquered fortified cities in Judah in 2 Chronicles 12. Um, Also, 1 Kings 14.26 says he took away from the temple gold shields of Solomon. Now, that has led to a connection and association with uh, a historical king we know about, Shoshunk I. Uh, who was a pharaoh of Egypt. Now, from the names, you can understand why this uh, identification might have been made. However, there have always been some problems with that. There are inscriptions that will describe his conquests in Canaan. And Whose conquest? Shoshanks? Yes, the conquest of Shoshank I. And you're, suggesting, you're suggesting he may not be the same guy as Shishak. Well, here, here's why. Because okay. in these conquest lists that are similar to the one we saw on the Berlin pedestal, you don't see Jerusalem mentioned. 
Uh, and in fact, what you do find is more Israelite cities mentioned than Judean cities. Now, if we think about what we know, uh, the Bible tells us that Shishak actually gave Jeroboam refuge in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 40. Um, uh, and he would come out of this refuge uh, to then lead the northern kingdom of, of Israel. So we, know, so we know when Shishak mentioned in the Bible lived relative to Bible history. That's right. He lived during the time of Jeroboam right after Solomon. That's right. And you're, the you're strange saying, thing is, would you expect him, if he's giving refuge to Jeroboam, then to go in and conquer the cities of Israel, rather than what Scripture says about Shishak uh, conquering the cities of Judah? So yeah. that becomes yeah. a problem. Well, this is interesting, because Shishak, who, who goes in and he takes the plunder from Jerusalem, um, and then if he's the same guy as Shoshank, who historically apparently devastated some of the minor cities of Israel, that would be, and, but didn't mention Jerusalem. Right. I guess that, I guess that'd be kind of like, uh, somebody attacking Texas and, uh, laying waste to, uh, I don't know, um, what are some little towns around Nacogdoches and, uh, Lubbock. Sulphur Springs. Sulphur Springs springs and yeah. not mentioning the fact that they devastated dallas right right, right. <laughs> if that's in fact the same person so that and a lot of history has been built on that association of shishak and shoshunk um now roll actually offers uh an alternative to that and this is one that a lot of egyptologists kind of cringe at but let's just see what he says he actually suggests that the best identification of, show, of the Shishak of the Bible is not Shoshunk, but actually Ramesses. And here's part oh, wow. of why he says that. Okay. Uh, he, he claims it's Ramesses II, and there is in the Ramesseum of Ramesses II an inscription to uh, describing his conquest of Shalem. Now, now that sounds like something I've heard before. Well, we may remember that, uh, that Jerusalem, Yerushalem, uh, the Shalem part of it means peace. And there are times in Scripture, as I've cited there, where that'll be the way Jerusalem is identified, Shalem. And if that's the case, then at least you have archaeological evidence uh, describing Ramesses II uh, in connection with besieging Jerusalem. Now, can I ask a silly question? Maybe, yes. Ramesseum of Ramses II. I'm going to assume that's a museum dedicated to Ramses. Well, it is. I think um, it's a temple. Oh. Um, yeah, oh. it's, it's not a modern museum. It's an ancient uh, temple. It may, I'm trying to remember if it, it's not like a mausoleum, but it's uh, uh, just a temple, I think, okay. kind of honoring and worshiping him. Well, I'm glad I asked. Maybe my question wasn't so stupid after all. I mean, I didn't know the answer, but okay. I think I'm right in, in that. All right. All right. Go ahead. Okay. So if we think about that, then what do we, what do we see? Well, if Ramesses II is actually Shishak yeah. of the Bible, mm -hmm. what it does is it moves Ramesses II forward. Whoa. And so what we've had is we've had biblical dates that pushed everything back and Roll's historical uh, new chronology theory pushes a lot of historical events forward. Um, so, again, so if we were looking for 
biblical, or we, if we were looking for archaeological evidence of Israelites as slaves leaving Egypt in the time of Ramses II, and if he, in fact, is reigning around 900 B.C., of course we wouldn't find evidence of Israelites leaving Egypt. That's right. That's right. Okay. And to have archaeological evidence from his son and the uh, reign right before him that both mention Israel as established nations would make sense if you're talking about a time well after the Exodus. Well, let me ask you this question, Kyle. All right, so then, so then we see why we don't see evidence in the time of Ramesses II of Israelites leaving Egypt. But do we find evidence, if we go back to, on that previous screen that you had, uh, if we go back there to where it says Exodus 1456 BC, if we go back there, do we find any evidence that would be possibly connected with Israelites leaving Egypt? Yes, absolutely. And this leads us back to where we started because I said scholars will say there's no evidence. Well, the problem has never really been a lack of evidence. The problem has been an issue of dating because the evidence that exists, they've argued, is way too early for it to have been associated with the Exodus. If the things that we're talking about, though, are accurate, uh, then what we find is there is much evidence that matches the biblical record um, that is considered early. If the new chronology is accurate, uh, it's no longer the case that we lack evidence. And I can offer just a few examples of that as we as we proceed. Okay, let's see it. All right. And First, by the way, let me remind our viewers, we will be happy to take your comments and questions. I'm not sure how well it's working. Uh, Chase, we are able to monitor the YouTube comments. Yep, I've got it pulled up right here. I can see it as it comes in. Okay, all right. Go ahead, Kyle. Well, let's look first at evidence for the conquest of Palestine, and we'll kind of work backwards in history. Um, there is evidence in connection with uh, archaeology that's been done at Hatsor, and let me get back to that in a second. In Hatsor, we have evidence that will describe... Um, destruction uh, and burning of the city, and in fact, even a figure that is referred to in the biblical text, uh, Yabin or Jabin, yeah. uh, is cited in uh, some archaeological artifacts that date to this particular time. That's really uh, cool. There's evidence there from Joshua chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, that describes the conquest and the taking of Hatzor. When it comes to Jericho, uh, many of your listeners might be familiar with some of the things that have been found at Jericho, but what's interesting is the archaeology shows fallen walls that were burned after the fallen, the, they, were, they had fallen, and even a location of a section of the wall that was left intact. And of course, when we look at the biblical account, Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 25, it describes that kind of thing exactly. And this change in dating would put it back to that time. Um, what about the departure from Egypt? Um, there is a, an Egyptian historian that is quoted by Josephus by the name of Manetho. And Manetho has referred to a people known as the Hyksos that uh, were a Semitic people that he describes as taking over Egypt without battle. Uh, he claims that during that time, Egypt was so devastated 
that they kind of took over without battle. Well, Scripture never describes the Israelites as taking over Egypt. They were enslaved by the Egyptians. But historians have always had a hard time knowing what to do with the Hyksos. Uh, some have argued that maybe they were the Israelites. Others have argued that maybe it was uh, something in connection with Ramesses II. Um, an alternative might be that if we look at what Scripture says, Scripture describes the fact that after the Exodus, some 40 years after the Exodus, Deuteronomy 11 verse 3 says that Egypt was still destroyed 40 years after that period. It may well be that that left them vulnerable to whatever Semitic people might come in and take conquest, not the Israelites, but uh, others. And that might be an explanation of that. That's at least an idea that, that role sets forth. I, I, I guess I got a question too, looking yeah. at some of this evidence too. I mean, I think a lot of people, they look at this and they say, oh, well, that's not a whole lot of evidence, but is there some weight to the fact that Egypt might not have wanted to record this section of their history? Well, uh, would, would it have been a damper? That's a good point. You know, we've seen even in modern times that people like to erase records of history that don't support them. Uh, we see that in the Soviet Union where they've actually gone in and, and doctored photographs that once had those that became enemies to the state. We shouldn't be surprised at that at all in, in some of these things. Now, with that said, what we see in a lot of ancient histories, you don't find mountains and mountains of evidence of some things, but if you find certain things in certain periods that at least corroborate uh, what the biblical record uh, describes, we have to take that into account. Yeah, I, amen, absolutely. Now, Kyle, you have some some even more in things you want to talk to us about that will that could possibly be evidence of of Israelites in Egypt prior to their departure, the Exodus. I don't want to take us too far astray. So, if you want to. Uh, say, let's not go into this. That's fine. But I've just got a question here. Uh, you cited Josephus and his Against Apian. And um, in looking at that, he quotes from Manetho, whom you'd mentioned a minute ago. And he quotes a section where he talks about this foreigner who became king in Egypt, somebody named Salitis. Um, is there a point to be made in, in terms of the identity of that individual, or do we just not know enough to make any connection there? Uh, Roll may offer an argument on that. I'm not familiar with it, though. Um, you know, you've, you've seen, as many of us have, uh, the difficulty that Bible scholars, historians have with really trying to figure out who the Hyksos were. Yeah. And um, I think this is interesting because if Roll is correct, then it, it would not be something in which you'd have to make an Israelite Hyksos identification. It's basically saying they're so weakened because of what happened uh, after the exodus and the plagues that they're vulnerable. Okay. Okay, good. Okay. Well, what else do we have here? Well, what? as we move into some other evidence that exists, there is what's known as the Leiden papyrus. And what's interesting about that, is the Leiden papyrus, although it's often been viewed as mythical, describes the Nile turning to blood. It describes death everywhere. It describes servants taking possessions of the treasures of the rich. Now, maybe I'm off here, but that just sounds familiar to me. It <laughs> seems like as I read the book of Exodus, the water turned to blood, 
there was the tenth, there were a lot, there were a lot of deaths from a lot of plagues, but then the last plague was the death of the firstborn in every household of the Egyptians. Right. And then, of course, when the Israelites left Egypt, uh, the Egyptians gave them all sorts of, of riches. Right. Now, you know, again, if you're, if you date this way before the Exodus, then we understand why people might treat it as mythical. But okay. if it corresponds with the date of the Exodus, uh, as you said, this sounds an awful lot like what Scripture records for us. Where did the Leiden papyrus come from? What What is it more generally other than having reference to these events? You know, I think I, in some of the material I'll give reference to at the end, you can probably find out more specifics about that. I don't know the answer to that. Though. Is, Leiden, is Leiden the name of it because that's where it is currently stored? Or? I believe that's the case. Okay. All right. It's at Leiden University. I just looked it up. Okay. Very good. And, and that's in the Netherlands. So. Right. I'm familiar with that. Okay. There's an, um, we certainly see in Exodus 7 examples of uh, plagues and plunder. Um, another one that's in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Papyrus, is interesting because it, it uses Hebrew names. And it uses these of slaves. And what's interesting is it uses feminine forms of names we're very familiar with in scripture. For example, Asherah is the feminine form of Asher, uh, there in Genesis chapter 30, verse 13. Uh, Sakira is the feminine form of Issachar in Genesis 30, verse 18. Those, of course, are two of the sons of Jacob, Joseph's brothers. Um, you'll also see the name, the feminine form of Jacob, uh, Yaquaba, and even a name that is that corresponds to one of the Hebrew midwives, in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 15. Now, I'm not suggesting that we have to look at that and say, well, that is the midwife that's described, but what this does is it puts Hebrews in Egypt at this time. Yeah, otherwise, why would you have all these Hebrew names down there in Egypt? Most that's right. of the Hebrew people. That's right. So back to the arguments that critics will make, that there's no evidence for Israelites in Egypt. Well, take a look at that. You've got these names that correspond and we've got to take that into account. So the Brooklyn Papyrus is in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, uh, a museum there. Um, I believe there. that's the case. And I think in in the Joseph article that I cite at the very end, I think I documented scholarly articles when these things were first published. Because I'm sitting within two hours of Brooklyn here. Well, maybe two and a half by the time I get into the city. But I could actually go look at that. Okay. Yeah. But we, we, of course, see Israelites being enslaved in the biblical record. Um, there's another one that's very interesting, and this pertains to evidence for the departure from Egypt. Um, Ramesses, where uh, the Israelites uh, were, is also called by another name, Avaris. And this is an area that uh, a lot of excavation has been done, and they have discovered um, that this was the home of Semitic peoples uh, not Egyptians. And that's particularly interesting because uh, the archaeology even suggests that while it was inhabited by Semitic peoples, there was a sudden departure from the city at some point. Now, let's, now, let, let's pause here. Let's explain what Semitic peoples are for our audience here. Basically, those, uh, of course, as we look at Genesis 10, and it gives the ancestry of those that descended from Shem, Basically, those that were, uh, you could call them Shemites, uh, and so that will involve not only 
the Hebrews and the Israelites, but others in connection with that. Many that were kind of in Mesopotamia uh, were Semitic. And so, so, so what you're saying is archaeological evidence shows that this city, which is known as Ramesses, but is also known as, what was it, Avaris? Yeah, Avaris. Avaris, yeah. uh-huh. that archaeological evidence shows that there was a people, that city was populated by people that was primarily a Semitic people. Right. And, and you're, you're making the connection, the term Semitic embraces the, the Israelite people. Of course, today, anti-Semitism right. is, is bigotry or racism against Jews. Right. Because Jews are Semitic. Right. So what, what you're saying is archaeologically, there's this evidence that the city in which the Bible says the Israelites were, archaeological evidence says there was a Semitic people, which would be consistent with Israelites, living there. That's right. Not Egyptian. Right. So while we don't have, we can't dig up the book of Exodus in Avaris, we do see evidence that would support a Semitic people living there. Uh, They're not Egyptian. And then you said that that city shows evidence archaeologically of having been suddenly abandoned? That's what the evidence seems to suggest. And that's, that's interesting. What would that, why is that interesting? Why, what would that be consistent with? Well, uh, what we look at in terms of the Exodus is a sudden departure of the Israelites when that release takes place. And let me show you a a couple of other things in connection with Avaris that are very interesting. Archaeologists um, have identified something that's often associated with Israelite uh, inhabitants, and that's what they often call the four-room type house. Um, and you can read details about this in archaeology, but it's apparently kind of unique to what you find later in Israel among Israelite, uh, Israelites. And what's interesting is you find one of these in Avaris, which seems to kind of show a connection, at least uh, architecturally, with some of the things that would be found later on in Israelite history. And let's go even a little further with that. Um, We see that scripture will describe that Pharaoh uh, put put people, uh, put Joseph's family in Goshen, which is where Avaris is. Um, But there's one final thing about this that I think is really compelling. In these Avaris excavations, they have found a tomb, uh, the ruins of a large tomb, with a statue of a Semitic man of some importance. And you can see what's left of that is simply uh, the top two pictures there, but you can see reconstructions and uh, what was a part of it, a different head, different uh, hairstyle, different clothing and things such as this. Um, wait, we, wait a minute. I can you go back to that? I'm, just a little, I'm a little confused here, Kyle. Sure. So I've got, a pin any drawing on the right. Yes. I've got a photograph of a statue on the left. Yes. And and I'm so are, are they they're, they're representing two different things here? No, sir. These are just ways of showing the same thing and the the two larger ones are reconstructions of what they believe it was like. What is actually left? are the two small oh. pictures oh. See the back okay. and the front. I gotcha. Okay, so, so you can point your cursor up there for us and show us. Sure, right there's the back of the head, and right there is the front. And you can see it's been damaged, whether that was just through looting or, um, you know, perhaps when this departure from Avaris took place, uh, there was some 
you know, like Chase was talking about, effort to stamp out the memory of this. I, I don't know. But for whatever reason, it is that's all that's left of this statue that was in this large, rather prominent tomb. Or, that's, that's enough that ex, experts can look at that and say that's a part of a statue of some prominent individual. That's right. Okay. And even, even those that wouldn't accept roles dating will identify this as a Semitic uh, statue rather than an Egyptian statue. Now what is it that do you, are, do you know what it is that makes it evident that it's Semitic or is that you're relying on the experts like Rolls and other people who say it's clearly Semitic? Well, I am relying on them. I do think there's some things with hairstyle, uh, some things with clothing that uh, we might not readily identify, but um, you know, there are some uh, other kinds of uh, depictions and engravings that will show different peoples and that will often have different hairstyles, different clothing styles that kind of show those distinctions. I guess somebody could jump to the conclusion and say, oh, that's the coat of many colors there. But of course, Joseph's coat of many colors was, was dipped in the, in the blood of the animal and handed to his father, Jacob. And they said, is this your son's coat? So that wouldn't be the coat of many colors there. But Right. And, and that reconstruction, I'm not sure what, the I've I'll cite at the end the article that uh, reports on this and gives the evidence for why they did the reconstructions that way. Okay. Um, now, while yes, that would be jumping to a conclusion with that. <laughs> what we know from Scripture is that Joseph was made, and Joseph as a non-Egyptian was made second to Pharaoh over all of Egypt in Genesis 41. Now, that leads many to the question that you just posed: Was this could this have been a statue of Joseph? It's in the place and the time, if we look at the new chronology dating, that very well might correspond to this. Now, uh, certainly the jury is still out on some of this, but I think as Christians, we absolutely need to be aware of some of this evidence because far too often we'll just let the critics uh, get by with saying, oh, there's no evidence, when the fact is it's a matter of how you interpret it, the fact is, it's a matter of when you date it. Uh, but if these things do correspond to the biblical account, then we're looking at quite a bit of evidence. Now, roles. So, so this is this is really fascinating to me. Um, of course, as a believer, I would love for for it to be proven that roles chronology is right and all of this falls in place, and and maybe that will happen. There have been a lot of things throughout history where people thought they knew what happened, and then lo and behold. It didn't happen. That makes the plot for many of these Discovery Channel programs or whatever where they say, oh, you know, we used to think, but now we found out, you know. So that could be. Roll's idea right now among many historians, I guess, is still considered somewhat controversial, not, not, not a consensus, not widely accepted, or is there growing – what, where, what's the status of his idea amongst uh, historians? I believe it's still controversial. Um, I, I don't think there are some that would just dismiss it out of hand, mm -hmm. but the things that I've looked at don't give uh, very direct answers to the problems that he poses mm -hmm. because um, in his documentaries and in his book and in the scholarly articles where he explains it, he goes into great detail about, why you shouldn't put these things consecutive and why they are uh, two that are occurring at the same time. Uh, he goes into a whole lot more detail than I uh, would be qualified to be able to address. But uh, the things that I've seen kind of refuting him 
are rather dismissive, not conclusive to show why his suggestions are not accurate. Boy, it looks interesting to me. Um, let's um, just kind of summarize then. So basically, it, apart from this work that Roll has done and, and whoever would agree with him, there's been a tendency to suppose that Ramses was the king when was the Pharaoh when the Israelites left Egypt in the Bible, that Ramses reigned about 1,200 plus years before Christ, that when we look at 1,200 years plus before Christ, archaeologically we don't see any evidence that would seem to be Israelites leaving Egypt. That much is, is pretty much the state of affairs. Yes, sir. But what, but what Roll is saying, and Roll is not a believer. He's an agnostic. He's not trying to prove the Bible is right, correct? Right. He's saying we've got some chronological issues here. Things weren't always where we thought they were historically. Um, he ends up, does Roll end up suggesting that Ramses actually uh, was a pharaoh somewhere in the 10th century B.C., the 900-plus years before Christ? Right. He, he thinks the best evidence is to connect him with Shishak that's described in the Bible. Whereas more typically people have connected Shishak with Shoshank, but there's inconsistencies there because you have Shoshank going and conquering some minor cities in Israel, whereas Shishak conquers, or at least takes spoils from Jerusalem, and Shoshank never claims that, which you would think he would have claimed if he'd done it. Right. And also the fact you mentioned Jeroboam is fleeing to Shishak. Right. Um, okay. So, so all right. So, so the idea for, um, for identifying Shishak with Shoshank doesn't work, and Roll is saying Shishak is actually Ramses. Is that right? That's his argument. Yeah. Okay. That, that alone may be what throws a lot of Egyptologists off because that just, I don't think, sets right. <laughs> yeah, but then, but then whatever the case, uh, Ramses, apparent, apparent, we, we don't have such a strong case for saying the Israelites must have left in the 1200s. And yet, and by the way, we look at the Bible and we see in 1 Kings, it was 480 years before the building of the temple by Solomon that the Israelites left Egypt, which would put it back in the middle of the 15th century BC or the 1400s, right? That's right. And then what you're saying is, and what Roll is saying is, we go back to the 1400s BC and we see evidence of this city, Ramses, also known as Avaris, mm -hmm. which is uh, a city where there's archaeological evidence that at that time, when the Bible would have the Israelites in Egypt, there were, was a Semitic people in Avaris, right. it was populated by Semitic people. And, and not just that there were a few Semitic people there, but it was basically a Semitic city, right? Right. And the Israelites were Semites. Right. And so, okay, and then, then also that there was evidence that that city was suddenly abandoned. That's right. Which would be consistent with the Exodus. Right. And then you come to this other evidence of this uh, style of house that was an Israelite style of house that you see there, and this statue that you wonder if it could be connected with Joseph. There was something in Patterns of, of Exodus. I, I watched that video. There was something in there about a housing situation with uh, 12, uh, 12 monuments and one significant one in the middle or something like that. Yes. I was not able to find in the scholarly articles that reported about Avaris that. Okay. Um, now, it may have been there, and I just missed it, but uh, 
that that was interesting in Mahoney's film. Well, I appreciate your your caution though, because it is easy to you know this confirmation bias thing. It's easy to want to believe something and then latch on to evidence that really isn't evidence. Yeah. So it's it's appropriate to be cautious. But at the same time, we have young people who grow up and and they start getting tempted with one lifestyle or another, and they they have these tugs pulling at them to draw them into the world. And then they hear somebody say, well, you know, historically scholars say there's no evidence for the biblical account of Exodus. It doesn't, it it can't have happened. And they latch on to something like that. And so there's also the tendency to believe what we want to believe when we're looking for an excuse not to obey God's word. Um, Really, I appreciate this, Kyle. This has been helpful today. Thank you. If If your viewers would like to dig more into this, let me share with them um, where they can look into some of this. I have uh, two articles that I shared with you that I wrote that will go into these things in more depth and also will have the citations at the end. And they're welcome to consult any of those. And if they have any questions, I, I don't know if I can give you the answer. I'm not an Egyptologist, but I can at least hopefully point you in the right direction. Also, that last article was featured in the appendix of a book that came out last summer on Genesis, and that might be of some value to uh, your readers if they want to look in depth into some of these things. That's uh, your book, edited by you and Mark Mayberry, right? Yes, sir. That was the Truth Lectures of last summer, and Mark and I edited, edited that together. There's different authors that wrote on different subjects, and this Joseph article is featured in the appendix with some other articles as well. Well, thank you much, Kyle. Thank you, Chase, as always. And this webcast will be available as a recording at BibleQuest.tv, so you can go back and look at it there. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Jeff. And we'll expect to see you all next week. Thanks, guys.